This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. There's an anointing that abides in us as people, as believers, that we don't need a man or a woman to teach us because you said that anointing will teach us all things and is not a lie. In fact, we know, Jesus, you said that we would receive the Holy Spirit, that anointing, and that he would guide us into all truth. So we're grateful tonight that, Holy Spirit, you're going to work in every one of our lives and help us to rightly divide the word of truth because we believe that all scripture is given by inspiration from you, God, and that it is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and for instructions in righteousness that the people of God could be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And even though you teach us, Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you do give pastors, you do give teachers. We know that when you ascended Jesus, you gave Gifts to people. You gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we're open tonight and grateful for the teaching gifts that you provide in the body. And I'm so grateful for my brothers and sisters tonight and for the giftedness in their lives. And I pray that together you will teach us maybe something that will compel us to live our life differently, beginning in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm sure you're aware that when the Bible was translated, it didn't initially have the divisions that we're familiar with today. The chapter and verse divisions were in fact added by translators in the 13th and in the 16th centuries. But prior to that, the books were written without any breaks from beginning to end, each book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. So it was just a flow. You say, well, why was there an inspiration in the lives of the translators to add chapters and verses? It was really for simplicity's sake for you and me. And their divisions aren't necessarily inspired. You need to realize that but they're there to help us. But interestingly, inherently, in John's chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, there is an obvious division. And the translators, of course, picked up on this. Because each of those chapters begins, you've heard it, you've read it, but you might not have thought about it. Each of those chapters begins after these things. Remember? And basically what you have is after these things, and then you have a narrative written by John, and then a conclusion, and he'll say, after these things, and he'll go on, or after those things. So we could literally take these chapters, 5, 6, and 7, in their entirety, and study them as a whole. Now, we, we usually don't do that when we teach chapter and verse expositional Bible study. We don't. We take themes, we take miracles, we take messages, and that's what we've been doing as we've been going through John chapter 6. 
In fact, Pastor Jason has already taught on a couple of the areas that I'll touch on tonight, but I want to bring you a comprehensive picture of the whole chapter because there's a message here that I think is profound and important, one that most of us don't think about, and it's probably the greatest expose in the New Testament on this particular theme. Before I get to the theme, though, let me just say that chapter 6 is unique because it begins with an astounding miracle recorded by all four Gospels. Did you realize that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that all four Gospel writers record? Most of you probably never thought of that. But every one of them reports only this miracle and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Other ones, some do, some don't. And it's a unique sign because Jesus fed 5,000 men, right? Not including women and children. Jason said probably 10,000, but the conservative estimate is 10,000 men. But most Bible scholars think it was closer to 20,000 people that Jesus fed. That's phenomenal, this miracle. It's called the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. After this, Jesus walks on the water, remember? You studied this together. Jesus walks on the water, and they think he, they see a ghost, and they're terrified. The, the waves, the wind, it's a tumultuous sea. And they, they wonder who it is, and Jesus says, it's I am, as Jason taught last week. It's amazing. And Peter says, if it's really you, if it's really I am, if it's really God, just Give me the word and I'll come. And Peter walks a few steps on the water, doesn't he? Until he gets his eyes off Jesus. And then a profound thing happens. Jesus gets in the boat. The winds and the waves are calmed, right? But have you read the text closely? It says immediately the boat was on the shore. Immediately the boat, which is three to, three to four miles from the shore, that's how far out they rode, according to John. And from the place they left to the place they were going, it was six miles. They were three to four miles out. So Jesus gets in the boat at the halfway point of the lake. And then immediately the boat with 12 disciples and Jesus is transported to the shore. That's unbelievable. Boom. It's like Jesus appears. It's like the boat disappears and appears with Jesus and the disciples. So profound miracles are taking place. And then a profound sermon. You've studied the sermon regarding bread from heaven. And this really is the conclusion of Jesus' Galilean ministry. After a day or two, he heads to Jerusalem, never to visit Galilee again until he's glorified. He's going to spend his time in the rest of the Gospel of John in Jerusalem. And we're going to look at those events in detail. And so, for the hearers of the message, this was a shocking day. As Jesus preaches one of the greatest messages in all of the Bible in a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue in Capernaum. Now, remember the I am's of John? This is the third. Do you remember which was the first? Think about it. The first I am of John is at the well in Sychar, Samaria, where Jesus meets the woman 
And she says, the Messiah will come and then we'll understand better. And Jesus says, speaking to you, I am. And then the second is Jesus on the water when they say, who is it? And Jesus says, I am. I am. And now the third I am is, I am the bread of life. And he adds a metaphor or a figure of speech to further reveal something about himself. He's bread from heaven. Now this two-day event begins in verse 2 of John chapter 6. It, it begins with Jesus healing the sick. So we're talking power encounters right and left are taking place in this chapter. Then he feeds the multitude. And it ends with the Jews attempting to forcibly make Jesus king. They're going to force him to lead them against Rome. And then, as we read on, after his message, we see the crowd turns completely around, and now they want to kill him. The same crowd. So in between these miracles and people wanting to kill Christ, the reality is many of his followers, many disciples defected after hearing and then rejecting his words. Now this is important for you and I. We don't live in an hour yet where the pressure is being brought to bear on us like it is in some nations of the earth. But that time could be coming. And I wonder how many Christians in this easy believism that is so popular in America will be able to stand the test when held over the fire, when facing the possibility of persecution or even martyrdom for the cause of Christ. I wonder how many of us are really ready? How many of us are truly his disciples? And thus, the ultimate theme of John chapter 6 is revealed. True and false disciples. True, spiritual, false, the flesh. And when we drill down in this passage, we will find characteristics of genuine and of counterfeit followers of Christ. So let's go back to John 6, verse 59, and I'm going to move through it quickly and paraphrase some of it. So we already know he's at the synagogue in Capernaum. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What he's just preached. This is very hard. But Jesus, he knew in himself that they were grumbling. And he said, do you take offense at this? then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? If you were to see me go back to heaven, that's what Jesus just said. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Underline that. Underscore it in your heart. Your flesh, your effort does no good. It's of no help. It's the Spirit that gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life but there are some of you who don't believe. And of course, we know that Jesus knew from the beginning that there would be those who didn't believe and that some would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. And after this, after this, many, who? 
many who? Many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? If you think, and if I think, that we are so fortified in our faith that Jesus would never ask you and I that question, we are sadly mistaken. He even asked the 12, do you want to leave me too? And Simon answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we've come to know that you're the Holy One of God. But Jesus still says, didn't I choose you 12? And yet, one of you is a devil. Wow, isn't that profound? The brokenhearted comment of Jesus, do you want to leave too? You know, that question is going to be answered by a lot of people in the coming years. And it's not going to be answered verbally. It's going to be answered with our feet. There will be people that will turn their back. And they will choose to follow the spirit of Antichrist rather than to follow Jesus Christ. And I pray that we not be of that number. Now let's begin with the definition of a disciple. A disciple is a a pupil or a student of a teacher or of a school. A true disciple, however, is not just a student or a learner, but they're a follower. They don't just assimilate knowledge, but they follow and their behavior is modified. It's truly one who applies what they've learned. Application is key. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul is a preacher. He's a man. But he says, you became imitators of us as we preach to you and of the Lord. Now, if you become an imitator of a person who isn't following the Lord, that's a grave mistake. You do not want to follow those who are on their own path. You want to follow those who follow Jesus. That's in the grand scheme of things. So a disciple is a person who learns from their instructor and who then teaches others. They continue the discipleship process. Now in this passage, in John 6, there is introduced to us five characteristics of false disciples. Now, let's think about it for a minute. Is it even possible that somebody could be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and then reject him? Well, John writes to us not only in his gospel, but he also writes three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, later in the New Testament. And in 1st John 2, verse 18, I'll put it up for you, he says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Now, if he said that in the first century, where do you think we're living today? I mean, many of you have heard my teaching on the last of the last days. And if you haven't, I encourage you to go to Courageous Church or go to the YouTube uh, channel and listen to those messages and see that the signs are being fulfilled and it could be at the door, the coming of the Lord and the Antichrist being revealed upon the scene and ultimately the Antichrist. We may see him in our lifetime. 
He says, we know it's the last hour. If they did, we certainly do. And he, and he says this, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us, that it might be made plain. So this provides us a description of spiritual defection or what we call apostasy. And to apostatize is to forsake or to abandon the Lord. It's possible, I assure you, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, writes letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And the first church is the church of Ephesus, which we've studied together. And he says this to them, I have this against you, church of Ephesus, that you have left your first love. Remember then from where you have fallen and repent. He's talking to believers. He's telling believers they need to repent because they've left him. They've abandoned him. And he says, do the first works. He says, you've got to go back and do it again. Repent again. Recommit your life again because it's possible to turn your back on Jesus Christ. Jeremiah chapter 2.13 in the Old Testament, God says, you have forsaken me. And he's speaking of Israel. His people Israel. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, is the, one of the most illustrative examples of this where Jesus is looking out over the city of Jerusalem. I've stood in the place in the Mount of Olives where he did, and he looks over the city, and he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you to myself like a mother hen does her chicks under her wing, but you would not. You see, they rejected him. They turned their backs on him. It is possible to do so. And thus we are warned tonight. Because spiritual defection or apostasy breaks the heart of God. God doesn't want anyone to turn away, to turn back. He wants all of us to spend eternity enjoying the wonderful provision that he is for us in his presence. So this passage is teaching us the difference between true and false believers. Remember Matthew 7, verse 13, you've heard it. I'll put it up. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But Jesus says, those who enter it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Jesus says the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Does that ever bother you when you read that? Sure. Few that find it. We just think everybody that says Jesus is Lord is his disciple. But maybe not so. In fact, in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And people will respond. They'll say, well, we prophesied in your name. And we cast out demons in your name. And we performed miracles in your name. Did you hear that? That's what Jesus says. That's his word. This is not my theory. This is not my doctrine. This is not my story. This is Jesus He's giving these words. He said, they will say, Lord, in your name, we prophesied. Spiritual gift. In your name, we cast out 
demons, we defeated the powers of darkness. And in your name, we did miracles, mighty, mighty works. And what does Jesus respond? What does he say? I never knew you. Depart from me. What does this tell us? It tells us that relationship with God is key. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a learner follower. I want to be an imitator. I want to pass it on. But I want to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and thereby relationship with the Father, right? This is good teaching. This is the truth that can set us free. It's so powerful. You see, Jesus had many followers, many learners, students. But let's see what distinguishes the true from the false. And I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. I like it enough, we'll put it up on the screen. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. I remember when I was at downtown years ago and then in our facilities in Mid-Valley, we had several hundred people come to our services. And it wasn't unusual to have three to 400 people there on Sunday mornings. And often people would say, yeah, Pastor Jim, that was a great message. That was really good. I was really thinking about so-and-so. That was really helpful for this person in my family. And we have a tendency as maturing Christians to sometimes think that God can't speak to us anymore. But I want to encourage us. I want to encourage you like I've encouraged myself. Listen, Jim. Listen. Because you don't, you don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss this boat. You want to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Here's the characteristics, and I'll move through them quickly. Characteristics of a false disciple. Number one is they're drawn to a crowd. They're drawn to a crowd. Great crowds followed Jesus. That's what it tells us. Large crowds followed him. And do you know what crowds attract? Crowds. And in Christianity today in America, crowds are attracting crowds. There are a lot of people and a lot of excitement. And I've heard a lot of testimonies and I've watched people talk about their faith and what God's doing in their life. And I've heard a lot of rhetoric along this line. It's you know, I was living my life this way, but I learned that I can add Jesus to my life and I can, there's great improvement. I mean, this is great. I, I've got my life and I've got my career and I got Jesus and you know what? This is not what it's about. It's not about getting caught up in a crowd with great music and even great teaching and just adding Jesus to our life. If Jesus isn't our life, we are missing something. He's the priority. He's the pearl of great price. He's what people sell. They, they sell everything so they can go by the field to uncover the pearl that's buried there. That's who Jesus is. He's the pearl. He's worth giving your life for. And eternity will bear it out. Time and eternity will bear it out. And we'll look back and we'll say, oh, if I'd have known, if I'd have practiced what I see now. But I pray that we'll all get to eternity with him so we can look back but let's not have regrets let's walk with him people are drawn by a crowd now I'm not saying we should be small because I believe when the Bible is taught when the the gospel is preached I believe people will get saved but I can tell you that there are a lot of things happening today in America under the guise of Christianity that aren't really biblical Christianity and that's a tragedy because a lot of people are being duped 
and yet they're going to be responsible for themselves. Every one of us is. Number two, there are people that are being enamored by the supernatural. Did you hear that? People are enamored by the supernatural. So you're not only people just going to the churches where it's easy believism, but you even got people going to charismatic and Pentecostal and spirit-filled churches, and there's things happening, and people are, wow, God's here, this is great. But it's not enough just to observe and think this is great, because God wants you to be in the middle of it, and he wants you to be impacted by it or passing it on to others when that power encounter is taking place. But the reality is a lot of people, they just like to see the miracles, and they just like to be in the midst of that that spiritual power. Great example of it is Simon Magus, Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer. The story of him, you can read it tonight, is in Acts chapter 8. He was a sorcerer, a magician, and they, they called him the great one. And he, he could do some things. And he amazed the people, the Jews, even the believing church. And he started hanging out with the Christians in the book of Acts. And he became a Christian. You read it. It says he became a Christian and he asked them to baptize him. He became a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. And then what happened? Well, the church at Jerusalem heard that a lot of people were getting saved in this city where Philip had gone. And so they said, well, we're going to send Peter and John and some of the, some of the disciples from the Jerusalem church, we're going to send them down there to pray and to teach and to help. And so Peter and John went down and it says they laid their hands on all these believers because they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. They hadn't received the power encounter described in Acts chapter 2. And they needed to be empowered so they could be witnesses. And so the Bible says that Peter and John laid their hands on them and everybody received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go into it, but you say, Jim, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's the baptism of fire. It's empowerment to be a witness. And Jesus said, don't go out and preach until you're empowered. And that's why on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why they went down to this city. It's the reality. If you want to talk more about it, ask me a question about it anytime. I'll tell you what the Bible says. We don't need to get caught up in anything else. They went down there. And Simon was so excited that when Peter laid his hands on people, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He said, Peter, can I become one of... You're apprentices. Can I follow you everywhere you go? I'm following Jesus, but can I go back to Jerusalem? I want to learn from you. I want to be used in the kingdom of God. Is that what he did? No. He said, I got a bag full of money. I'd like to buy that gift. He's so enamored by the power of God, he wants to buy it with money. Whoa. What did Peter say? He said, your money perished with you. Your money perished with you. He's talking to a Christian who's been baptized. False disciple. And if you read the history of the church, you'll learn that Simon caused quite a bit of trouble for the early church going forward. He was enamored by the supernatural. Number three, people are seeking temporal or temporary benefits. Drawn to a crowd, enamored by the supernatural. And another characteristic of false disciples is they seek temporal benefits. What was the benefit that these people wanted? They wanted more bread. They'd been fed. He can do it once. Maybe he can do it again. And they were wanting physical satisfaction. So some people get involved in Christianity for the physical benefits they think are available to them. 
This is just a characteristic. It's not true in every case, but it's certainly characteristic of what took place in John chapter 6. Number four, they were motivated by personal fulfillment. This is important. I alluded to it a moment ago. That's where people say, well, what's in it for me? What's Christianity got to offer to me? What will God do for me? I got my plan, and I'm carrying it out, and if I add God to my plan, how does that fit, and what will the result be? How can Christ improve me? Can you imagine what God thinks when he observes people with this kind of attitude? And believe me, of the tens of millions, hundreds of millions of believers, there are many that are motivated thusly. They said, we've been waiting for you, Jesus, because we need a king. Why? Because we are tired of being under Rome. And we've got a plan. We've got a program. And we read some prophecies that says the Messiah is going to come and he's going to set up a kingdom. Let me just tell you a secret. He's going to set up a kingdom, but it's not going to be until after the seven years of tribulation, which are going to come upon the earth sometimes future. And in the first century, Jesus didn't come to set up a literal physical kingdom. He came to set up the spiritual kingdom of God, which he did. He said, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is with you. But they wanted to make him literal king. They tried to take him by force because we have a plan. We need a king. We have a plan. And we're part of that plan. In fact, those closest to Jesus that are going to grab him probably think they're going to be first and second counselors. They're going to be right there on top, top of the heap because they had a plan. That's personal fulfillment motivation. Well, false discipleship results in betrayal. It's the pattern of Judas. Jesus talked about it. It's the pattern of self-interest. Judas followed Jesus. He experienced the full revelation of Jesus. He was empowered by Jesus. Judas healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons. Read it for yourself, Matthew chapter 10. Judas, Judas was sent out with the other 12, and they did all those things. They declared the kingdom. He did signs and wonders. He did all those things, but then he rejected Jesus Christ. He fell away. He apostatized. He turned back. So it's to hear, and then to know, and then to forsake. That's what a Judas betrayal looks like. The fifth and last characteristic in this chapter of false disciples is they reject the words that Jesus spoke. This is really important. Many, many reasons people turn back. But in this case, God's words, the words Jesus spoke, his words, his teaching turned them off. And there are a lot of people today, even Christians, who are debating the words of Jesus. He didn't really mean that. That's not really what he wants me to do. It's very dangerous. See, Jesus is the bread we really need. Jesus says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood and accept my death. Now, this is not setting up Catholic doctrine. Jesus is not talking about transubstantiation in the communion. He's talking about you need to accept and embrace me. You need to take me for who I am and for what I say. You need to digest it all. You don't get to 
take what you think is meat and spit out the bones. You got to take it all. You got to digest me. Because Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. In fact, he said he's living bread. And those who eat that bread will never die. So those who eat him, who consume him, they will never die. And the bread he offers, he says, is greater than the miraculous manna in the wilderness that sustained one million people. Look real quickly with me at verse 26. I'll, I'll put this up also. Jesus says, truly, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs and wonders, but because you ate your fill of the loaves and the fish. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said, what must we do to do the works of God? So they got right off the point. Jesus says, you've got to receive me. You've got to digest me. You've got to take me, surrender to me. And they said, well, just tell us what we need to do. What work do we need to do? We want to work for God. Jesus says, you're missing the point. God doesn't need workers. He needs believers. He sent me to you. Just receive me, and you'll be receiving the Father. Jesus says that work of God is this, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said, then what sign do you do? Listen to this. What sign do you do for us now then, Jesus, so that we can believe you? What work do you perform? And I've already outlined for you all the signs and wonders that Jesus has already done just in this chapter, just in two days. And they say, well, show us another sign then. We're not sure if we believe feeding 20,000 people. That's pretty good, but not good enough. We don't think walking on the water really means you're God, even though you said you are. You called yourself I am. Do you see what I'm getting at? This is the, this is the heart of a, a false disciple. So they say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. So they say, you know, Moses, Moses got this great bread that he provided to a million people in the wilderness. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father that gave you the true bread from heaven. Who is the true bread from heaven? It's Jesus. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, well, give us this bread always. See, they totally miss it. They don't get it. Just give us that bread then. We'll take that bread. No, Jesus says the bread is me. Just believe in me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, yet you do not believe. Now, real quickly, Paul gives a very interesting statement in 1 Corinthians 10 about who it was in the wilderness that was feeding and providing drink to the children of Israel. One million Jews out of Egypt in the wilderness. And, and, and they're saying, the Jews here are saying, the Father is providing these things to us. Jesus says the Father gives the bread from heaven. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank from the same spiritual rock. The food was manna and quail. The spiritual drink was water from a rock when they were dying of thirst. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And then Paul tells us, who the rock was. And the rock was Christ. Jesus, who says, I am that I am, in the New Testament, was Jesus 
in the burning bush to Moses. Jesus, who says he's the bread of life, was the one in the wilderness feeding the million Jews manna, quail, and giving them water. It was Jesus all along. Am I saying there's no Father? No, I'm saying the Father sent Jesus to do all those things. And Jesus makes it very clear to us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God. Isn't that marvelous? Yes. So powerful when you contemplate it. But they say, show us a sign. What will you do? Jesus is the bread come down from heaven. He is the preexistent one come down from the Father. Remember, in the beginning is the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. We've gone through that in great detail. The manna, it nourished and, and sustained them temporarily, but death was still inevitable for the Jews in the wilderness. But Jesus says, the bread from heaven that I give provides spiritual, that's Zoe, life, not biological life, it's spiritual life. The bread that I give to you today, Jesus says, is spiritual life for you now, and it provides eternal life. You'll never die. You will never die as you walk in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So let me summarize quickly. False disciples are attracted to the crowd, fascinated by the supernatural, the signs that he did, miracles. False disciples look for earthly or temporary benefits, food and self-fulfillment, self-realization. Our problem is self. Self is never satisfied, but it's always unwilling to surrender. And the false reject his word. Now let's contrast quickly the characteristics of true disciples. Jesus says in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. That's a key. Continue in his word. People follow Jesus to learn from him. They become disciples. But he asks us to do more than listen or just to learn. He calls us to take up our cross. In Mark 8, 35, Jesus says, I'll put it up, for whoever loses their life, whoever loves their life, excuse me, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for Christ's sake and the gospel will find it. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. And that should be our testimony. See, the false followers are offended by the gospel. But to, re to receive and to follow Jesus, you've got to abandon your religion and your works, your view of Christ and the cross. It's time for us to get rid of our views and embrace the biblical view. It's that simple. Jesus says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit, they are life. But still, some of you don't believe. We've looked at that already. Tragically, they reject Jesus, these Jews do, to return to their own religion. Most of them didn't become agnostic or atheist. They just went back to Judaism. And a lot of people today, it's like, oh, you know, I don't really like, I don't like, I don't really like your, in, your literal interpretation of the Bible. I kind of like my church where, you know, we, it's principles. We don't really believe it's historic. We don't really believe it's an accurate account. A lot of so-called believers today don't believe the Bible, don't believe in the inspiration of Scripture. It's true. It's tragic. And they turn back to their own opinions and the philosophies of men and the doctrines or teachings of the demons which are taught in so many churches that don't simply embrace Christ and his word. So the difference between counterfeit and genuine is surrender. It's the willingness to die, die to, to our will, 
to fulfill the purposes of God. And true disciples like Paul die daily. That's what he said, I die daily, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. So the false, they're simply following, but they retain their autonomy. They hold on to it. But we must hear and then be called by the Father because no one can come otherwise. Verse 65, Jesus says, no one can come unless granted by the Father. So the first characteristic of true disciples is they're called by the Father. They don't come of their own instinct or intuition. They don't initiate. God initiates. Number two, they're born from above. We've studied it together. You must be born again. I think I mentioned it uh, last time I was here that uh, on Facebook, a woman, a Christian, she, she put a big message up. Oh, no, we are not born again today. That was for the Jews. We don't need to be born again. That was for the Jews. That was for that dispensation. We're different. No, we're not different. We need to be born again because we're dead in trespasses and sin and we need to be born again, born from above. That's something you can do yourself. And number three, you've got to be drawn or convicted by the Holy Spirit. Number four, you have to believe, but the demons believe. And there are a lot of people today that believe in Jesus. Demons believe too. You've got to receive Jesus. It's a big difference. It says, as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become the children of God, even to as many as believe in his name. And number five, you must embrace his words. That's what true disciples do. What do I mean by that? We first must believe the biblical words that verify who he is, that present the message, the gospel. We have to believe the Bible. Secondly, we must believe his instructive words to us which are also in the Bible, but it's, Jesus. It's, it's the red letter edition. It's what Jesus says. It's what Jesus is saying. I love all of God's word, but when Jesus is talking, it's so amazing. And I want to embrace his words, and I want to follow him. So, so Jesus says, will you leave me too? And Peter answers, where will we go, Lord? Only you have the words of eternal life. I'm going to wrap it up, but I just, want, I just want it to be clear. There's a lot of people that are turning back. They're turning away. They're taking the easy path, a wide road, a broad gate. And even in doing it, they know there's nobody that speaks like Jesus. There's nobody to embrace and follow like him. But in our own self-centeredness and our own rebellion, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, God will send strong delusion that people will believe a lie who had pleasure in unrighteousness. Be careful living in sin if you're a Christian because if you live in it long enough and you allow your eyes to be darkened, you run the risk. You run the risk. If you turn your back on God, there, there will come a day when he may stop calling out. It's a a day to live for God right now. I'm going to ask Jen to come back to the keyboard. And I just want to say today, our salvation is nearer than when we believed. You may be a new Christian. I'm going to tell you right now, it's nearer now than it was when you committed your life. And if you've been a Christian for a while, we're closer now than we've ever been. Does that mean Jesus is coming tomorrow or next year or 10 years? We don't know, but we do know the signs and we're not to be ignorant, are we? We're not to be ignorant. Jesus says we need to be ready. We need to have our lamps full of oil 
and we should have them trimmed and we need to be ready. Romans chapter 13, Paul says, do this, understand the present time because the hour has already come for you to wake up from your sleep, your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The day of Christ. It's the millennial kingdom. It's a thousand year reign of Jesus. It's clearly taught in scripture, Old and New Testaments. Jesus is coming, maybe sooner than we think. So consider the times that we live. Do you ever watch the news? Do you look around and hear the attitude and the rhetoric, the philosophies? Do you see what's happening in our country? Do you think this is gonna continue? Many think we're on the verge of, of, of civil war in America. You say, well, that's politics. It's the contentiousness of the spirit of light and the, the spirit of darkness. The spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the earth. I want to be true. I want to be his disciple. I want to be part of what he does in this last day. Don't you? And you can be. It's the last hour. It's not enough to like the popularity of Jesus. It's not enough to like signs and wonders done by Jesus. It's not enough to desire the earthly benefits provided by Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, follow me and you'll get to be a part of, you know, part of my group. Follow me and, and you'll get to watch and be a part of power encounters. Follow me and I'll make you all you can be. Jesus says, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Follow me. The guy says, well, I'll follow you, Lord, but I first want to go back and bury my dad. Sounds like an important thing to do, but within the context of that statement, probably what really happened is the guy was going to receive a significant inheritance, and he would have go back and collect his money first. Then he could follow Jesus. Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Jesus just cuts to the quick and says, if you really want to follow me, today's the day of salvation. Now's the time. A lot of young people here, I love that. You know, I, I was saved when I was 14 years old. I was raised Roman Catholic. I was steeped in religion. My cousin was a priest for 50-some years. My family visited Rome and had an audience with the Pope. I was steeped in religion. And then I left because I felt like it was a dead end and there was no answer. There was no sense of reality. There was no presence of God. And I left. And for a year, I wandered and floundered as a 13-year-old. You say, that's not possible. When I was 14 years, old, 14 years old, God sovereignly saved me and called me to the ministry. And I started teaching within a couple years. And God has used me all over the world. You're young today. It's not time to wait. It's time to make yourself available because God's calling people right now. Today's the day. Now's the time. Let's get ready. Let's go. Let's do this. You say, we got to be radical. we got to be fanatical. Just be who God calls you to be, whoever that is. You know, when we came to Salt Lake City, we used to walk around the LDS temple. We had a huge cross, and we'd carry the cross, and we'd go around the temple. And we'd pass out tracts, and we'd witness to the LDS people. And then we'd go on the tours. Now understand, I had a lot of training in 
LDS teaching doctrine. We'd go to the tours in the temple and we'd ask questions of the missionaries that were presenting to all the visitors. We got thrown out of the temple so many times. We were a bunch of 20-year-olds that loved Jesus and that wanted to make sure that people knew that he loved them and that he died for them and that they weren't involved in some religious deception, but they were experiencing the full grace and power of God in their lives. So we do whatever God tells us to do. Not every church did that. Not every church does that. I get it. I know that. So you be who God calls you to be. But are you one that just says, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Show me. Right? Use me. Now's the day. Now's the time. You say, well, I'm busy doing this and doing that. Just please, just ask him every day, Lord, is there something you want me to do today for you to further your kingdom? You say, I'm not trained. I'm not ready. I don't know what to do. How about the apostles? Unlearned fishermen. But the Jewish councils took note of them and said, they had been with Jesus. That was what made them different. Spend time with the Lord. You'll be astounded how quick he can grow you up in the faith and use you for his purposes. In fact, he loves to use the foolish things. He loves to use the things that are minimal. He doesn't always take the greatest. You know, the first time I was supposed to preach, first time I was called, I was living in the Vale, Colorado area, I was called to go up to a little church and preach. I was excited because I'd been training for the ministry. 20 years old. I'd been teaching and doing a lot of things, but I never actually preached. And a pastor invited me to come and preach. And the morning that I was to go preach, you know what I did? I pulled the pillow over my head and I went back to sleep because I was terrified. I was scared to death. And about a month later, that pastor had been out of town and he came back and he visited me and he said, how did it go when you preached? And I said, I never showed up. I don't know if he didn't know, but he acted like he didn't even know. I think he probably did. And you know what he did? He said, well, I'm going to be out of town again next weekend. Would you be willing to go? That was God. Because I went the next week and I preached from Exodus chapter 3 on Moses, who was afraid, who said, I, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I don't know what to say or do. And God said, I made your mouth. I'll be with you. And that was what God was saying through me. And that day, people got saved. People got impacted at the altar in the front that came forward for prayer. It was phenomenal. And it was the beginning. I'm just a kid. Many of you are young. To be young again and say, like Joshua and Caleb, we want to take the mountain. We want to take the mountain for God. We want to do something. God's looking for people. He's, his eyes are looking throughout the earth for people that he can show himself strong on behalf of. That's God's desire. So, Jesus says, John 5, 24, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. So maybe you're here tonight. Real quickly, let's just close our eyes and think for a minute. Maybe you're here and you haven't yet opened your life to God. You haven't opened your life and accepted Jesus Christ. You haven't received him. There's a way that seems right to people, but the way thereof ends in death. 
wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if we just confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. Romans 10.9 says we will be saved. It's so simple. You say, well, I don't know enough yet. You don't have to, you don't have to know it all. You just have to respond to the call as God is calling out to your heart. He's calling out and you sense it. And you just have to say yes. Repent. Have a change of mind. Stop going your direction and stop and turn back to God and allow Him to work in your life. If you're here tonight and you haven't yet made that commitment, you haven't made this decision, just repeat a simple prayer like this. You can do it right now. You can do it tonight. But do it because today's the day of salvation. Say, God, I believe you sent Jesus. And I believe that Jesus not only died, but that he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. And Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I want to make you Lord. I'm willing to die, not just today, but every day. I want to follow you more than I want to follow my self-will. I've been on the throne of my life up till now, and I've messed it up. And I'm willing to get off the throne and make you Lord, make you King, make you Master. I repent of my sins. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit and come into my life. I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Is that you? I hope so. If you make that decision today, just take the Connect card. Stop by the table. Tell them. Tell them there. I made a decision to follow Jesus. We'll give you a Bible. We'd love to give you a Bible. But you can just check the box on here. It says, I've decided to follow Jesus. Pastor Jason and Candace will call you, see how they can help you. They have classes. We want to help you. But you're following God. You're not following us. We're just a little bit ahead on the trail. Just a little bit ahead. And I'm saying to you, follow me as I follow Christ. And we're going to make it. We're going to go over. We're going to go across. Just remember the day we live. This is the time. This is the time to tighten your belt. And to get serious about living for God. You tell him. You tell him you're serious. You'll be astounded what he'll do in you. you believe that? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.